Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Dirt Show. It's been a few days uh, that I haven't seen you. Uh, yesterday was Yom Kippur. So I was uh, in synagogue. I do have to confess that uh, for the first time in my life, I did some work on Yom Kippur. I'm uh, pro bono trying to help a man on death row who's scheduled to be executed uh, on um, October 10th. And um, so uh, there were some emergency affidavits that I had to get in. And so I worked on it yesterday. I fasted. I went to the synagogue. But during a break in the synagogue, I did work on the affidavit. Um, it's very uphill. It's very hard to save somebody who is so close uh, to an execution date. I was just asked to help out a few days ago. So um, it's, it's, I, I'm up against a real-time situation. So if I look a little harried, it's because I've been working very hard on this uh, pro bono case. Uh, it's very uphill, uh, but I can't not work to try to uh, save him. He was uh, sentenced to death on the basis of uh, false information about a car hijacking that he didn't commit uh, fingerprints, uh, DNA, and timestamp uh, at his job evidence proves that the prior offense, the offense that gave him the death penalty, as distinguished from a life imprisonment, um, did never, never, never did, never did occur. And the prediction of violence was false. Well, I'll talk about that show in a future, future time. But it's, it's been a very, very busy week. This was UN week. We live right near the UN. So, of course, we've been stuck in traffic every day. And that's been the bad news. The good news is as the result of UN week, I got a chance to meet with uh, Vladimir Zelensky, the uh, president of Ukraine. I also had a chance to spend over three hours uh, with Benjamin Netanyahu, having spoken at a rally in front of his hotel the night before in support of Israel. Um, I then was invited to, uh, my wife and I were invited to dinner with uh, Sarah and Benjamin Netanyahu and a few family and friends. And I sat next to him and spent the entire dinner uh, talking to him about judicial reform and um, other problems that and crises that Israel is happening and and we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about those things. Uh, this is um, uh, Zelensky. Um, I met with him. Um, we had a talk. I also met with his chief of staff for uh, about a half an hour, and we talked about a lot of things, uh, including something that's in the news today, which we'll talk about. Um, and then the, the dinner, the, oops, upside down, then the dinner, there's the empty plate with Benjamin, uh, Tylus Benjamin Netanyahu. I was wearing my high tie, the, the tie that says life high. I wore that tie when I argued a capital case in front of the United States Supreme Court. We won that case. So I, I have worn it uh, as a kind of good luck item when I have, um, people facing, um, the death penalty. I, I've never lost a client to uh, the death penalty. This this man is not a client. He's just somebody that I've been uh, trying to help as a, as a good Samaritan. So 
We'll see if that works. I think it's very uphill at this point in light of the circumstance. But let me tell you about my my meetings. Uh, let's start. Uh, oh, before we get to that, <laughs> I was also supposed to see and meet with Henry Kissinger. Um, he usually comes to the synagogue that I go to, Fiam Kippur, um, to recite the Yurtzeit prayer, the prayer for his deceased uh, parents, but um, he's 100 years old and he wasn't able to make it. Last year he made it and I sat next to him and we we talked and I've known Henry since 1964, I suspect, when I came to Harvard and his son and my son were um, classmates and schoolmates. And so I got to know him just as Professor Kissinger. He became the Henry Kissinger only a few years later during the uh, Nixon administration. And at the end of this week, I'm scheduled at least to uh, meet on Zoom with uh, Elon Musk. So busy week for an 85-year-old guy, um, you know, so, um, um, you know, and I enjoy it. And I also learn a lot from it. It's good to be able to learn when you're as old as I am. So let's start with my meeting with um, with Zelensky. Um, I met with him. Um, I met with his uh, chief of staff. It's interesting that Ukraine has a long, long history of virulent anti-Semitism, probably the worst in the world. And yet they elected as president a man who is fully Jewish. Both of his parents are Jewish. And his chief of staff's father uh, is or was Jewish. His mother is Russian. Um, and um, we talked a little bit uh, about that because I come from a part of Poland, which is part of what's called Galicia. And Galicia extends uh, both through uh, Poland and Ukraine. And uh, indeed, the man is what I wanted to talk about today, what I talked to him about as well. Uh, yesterday or the day before yesterday, just recently, he was uh, speaking in front of the Canadian Parliament and the speaker or the former speaker, he's now been forced to resign. The speaker honored a Ukrainian 98-year-old man who he said fought against the Russians. Yeah, but he forgot one small detail. He fought against the Russians as a Nazi. Um, he was part of the Galician Nazi Waffen. And uh, he killed uh, and participated in the killing of many civilians, Jewish and, and non-Jewish. And um, as you've heard before in the show, the Ukrainian army even today includes some people who boast of their uh, neo-Nazism, they wear symbols. So Ukraine has a Nazi problem. It's, it's not anything like what Putin says. Ukrainian is not a Nazi country. It's a, a, a relatively liberal democracy with the vast majority of people uh, being very anti-Nazi, but it has a small group of people, including some people who are in one particular brigade um, that operates on the east uh, border um, that wears Nazi symbols. And so the, there is a Nazi issue. Um, this is going to surprise you. It surprised many people when I when I said this, including some of the Ukrainians that that I met. Among the horrible countries during the the Second World War, and, and almost no countries were immune from a fault. The French obviously deported and killed um, more people than the Nazis uh, ever asked for. Um, Holland, uh, complicitous. Um, but among the worst countries in the Western Hemisphere, 
was Canada. Canada closed its doors completely to Jewish immigration. In fact, the Minister of Absorption had a book written about him. And the title of the book was based on a speech he gave or a statement he made. The title of the book is Even One is Too Many. He was asked, can't the Canadians absorb a few hundred, maybe a few thousand Jewish immigrants who are trying to come? The United States absorbed some, not enough. Roosevelt closed the doors to his everlasting disgrace, but at least some were let in. Canada didn't let anybody in. Um, maybe a few snuck in, but uh, even one was too many. And then what do you think happened as soon as the Second World War was over? It opened its doors to thousands, thousands of Ukrainian Nazis, many of them escaping prosecution for their war crimes. And they were welcomed to Canada. They became very important parts of the farming community in Canada, the center of Canada. Canada has a large Ukrainian community. The vast majority of them are decent, good people. Some of them may even have helped Jews during the Second World War, but a lot of them, like this guy who was honored the other day, were Nazis and are Nazis. And so when it was made public, and it was very embarrassing, Trudeau clapped when <clears throat> he was honored. He didn't know. Uh, Zelensky clapped when he was honored. He didn't know. Zelensky should have known. He should have known better. When you hear about a Ukrainian hero who fought against the Russians in the Second World War, it doesn't take encyclopedic knowledge to know that almost certainly he fought in the Waffen-SS Galician um, unit, which murdered all these people and were declared to be uh, a, a criminal organization after the Second World War. And so, of course, the Speaker of the House fell on a sword. That's not enough. Canada has to do more. There has to be a reckoning. First of all, Canada must immediately deport this guy. Um, he came in under false pretenses. He didn't admit he was a Nazi. He didn't admit he served in the Waffen-SS. So he should be deported. Yes, he's 98 years old. Sorry. Sorry. He killed a lot of people who would be 98 today if they hadn't been killed at age 14 and 15, including relatives of mine. I lost a 15-year-old boy and a 16-and-a-half-year-old girl, uh, among others, uh, who were murdered um, in Galicia. Um, and uh, who knows who participated in those murders. We know that Ukrainian citizens uh, participated actively in rounding up Jews and bringing them to Babiar for the horrible murder that occurred there, right, right in the city of, of, of Kiev. So um, there's a lot of reckoning to do. And I discussed this um, with the chief of staff uh, who understood uh, that there is a problem. I briefly mentioned it, of course, as well, too. Uh, Zelensky. Um, Zelensky is um, Jewish. Uh, he doesn't brag of his Judaism. It's not a part of his um, um, espoused biography, but he doesn't deny it. Um, and the, the chief of staff uh, similarly. But, um, you know, the fact that Ukrainians would vote for people of uh, Jewish background, even Jewish heritage, in light of their history of anti-Semitism, you go to the middle of Kiev, What's the first statue you see? The first statue you see in Kiev is of a man named uh, Khmelnytsky, who was probably the first mass murderer of Jews in history. In the 17th century, he killed um, tens of thousands, some people think hundreds of thousands of, of Jews. And he has a statue to him right in the middle of, of Kiev. And you know what else? See this? This is the $5 bill. This is the current... Ukrainian $5 bill. 
Who do you think is on that picture? No, it's not Thomas Jefferson. No, it's not Vladimir Zelensky. It's Khmelnytsky, the mass murderer, the person who started pogroms against Jews, who took children and bashed their heads in. That's whose who's picture is on the Ukrainian currency. When I represented the president of Ukraine some years ago and won his case, I told them that my legal fee would be for him to get the picture of Melnitsky off that currency and to get his statue taken down. He said he would try, but he hasn't succeeded. And so Melnitsky and, and, and Nazis who fought against the Russians during the Second World War are still heroes in, in, in many parts of Ukraine and, and in the middle of in the middle of Kiev. And so Ukraine has a problem. I still support Ukraine against uh, Russia um, because I fear very much that if Russia is able to win uh, and take over territory by force, um, it's coming to a theater near you. Uh, he won't stop at uh, Ukraine. Ukraine is not a ma member of NATO, but uh, and, and, and he'll be emulated. Um, the Chinese government may well say, look, the United States didn't do anything. They allowed Russia to capture Ukraine and parts of um, eastern Ukraine, uh, Crimea and parts of eastern Ukraine. You think they're going to really intervene if we move into um, Taiwan? Well, why not try it? We'll see. Uh, I do think that it's very important that the message be sent clearly that aggressive wars uh, cannot result in the acquisition of property. Defensive wars are different. You know, when, when Israel was attacked in 1948, 1967, and 1973, in each of those cases, they were defensive wars, and Israel occupied areas um, which had resistance to it, just like the United States occupied Germany and the United States occupied Japan after the Second World War until all resistance was quelled. And um, obviously in the Middle East today, the resistance hasn't been quelled. We see terrorism from Gaza. Um, Israel is perfectly entitled to occupy all of Gaza until the rocket attacks stop and all of the West Bank until the attacks on civilians stop and until the Palestinian Authority stops its pay for slave policy. They give bonuses to the families of people who have killed Jews. Um, as long as that goes on, uh, a military occupation is completely lawful. Different question about civilian occupation, and that is subject to negotiation, but perfectly lawful to maintain a military occupation as long as there is resistance and it was done in a defensive war. Very different from what's going on in Ukraine today, where Russia is simply moving in and trying to captured territory. And, you know, it's interesting because even that is complicated. The uh, Crimea, if there were about a vote today in Crimea, very, very possible that uh, Crimeans would say we want to be part of Russia. We're historically part of Russia. The Tatars have been generally pro-Russian. Um, it's still disputed because the territory would have been captured by force. But the rest of eastern Ukraine, if they did a vote there, Clearly, the vote would be to maintain its status as uh, democratic um, uh, Ukraine rather than repressive uh, Russia. So my conversation was fascinating uh, with him. And we said we would continue to stay in touch. He knew 
the man I had represented in Ukraine and uh, 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 Leonard Kuchma, Kuchma, who was the former president, predecessor, three or four removed from him. And we had some common friends as well among some Ukrainian patriots. So that was very interesting meeting. Then my meeting with Netanyahu, of course, my meeting with Netanyahu is not my first. It's probably my 50th. I first met him in the early 1970s. And we've maintained a friendship for uh, 50 years. And when I go to Israel, I generally have dinner at the home of uh, the Netanyahu's. In fact, Sarah apologized that the last time my wife and I are in Israel, she couldn't invite us to dinner because basically they've been thrown out of their house. You know, the home of the prime minister of Israel is a slum. Um, nobody would want to live there. I'll never forget. We were having dinner one night and it was raining. And a few nights later, um, then Vice President Biden was supposed to come and have dinner in the same place. And it was raining and, and it was raining on the table. And the, the helpers had to bring out buckets to stop the rain from, you know, filling the house and the floor. That's the prime minister's residence. So they're fixing it up. And while they're fixing it up, uh, we haven't had dinner at, at, at their house. Uh, the president's house in Israel is magnificent, but the prime minister's house is a shack. Uh, hopefully there'll be a new prime minister's house built. But Bibi and I, we've had dinner many, many times, and we've always discussed candidly all issues. I don't always agree with him. I think he's been a great, a great leader, particularly in terms of foreign policy. I don't support his current government. Um, I, I don't support people like Ben Gavir and, and, and Smertrich who have had um, racist um, statements attributed uh, to them. And I don't like that. And I wish he could have made a coalition with uh, the former head of the Israeli uh, armed forces, Gantz. Um, but that hasn't happened. Uh, I still think that's a possibility in the not too distant future. We talked about judicial reform. Um, he's moderate on that issue. If he could get his way, his way and my way wouldn't be very far apart. We have some distance between us, particularly on the appointment of justices, but mostly we're uh, on the same on the same page. But um, he can't easily compromise because he has people on his extreme right that make compromise different if he wants to maintain his government, no different than in the United States. You think that Biden, and here you might disagree with me, you think that Biden really likes people like AOC and Bush um, and uh, some of the others in the squad? They're making his life miserable. But he has no choice. They're, they're Democrats. They were elected, and so they're part of his group. Um, um, Nancy Pelosi posed with uh, one of the most rapidly anti-Semitic members of, of Congress, um, because she had to. And Benjamin Netanyahu formed the coalition because he had to. And that's the nature of politics, even more the nature of politics, when you have a parliamentary system in which you need coalitions to, um, to uh, govern. Um, we spent a lot of time uh, talking about the potential for peace with, uh, with Saudi Arabia. Obviously, I'm not in a position to reveal uh, specifics of our conversation, which was not an on-the-record uh, conversation. I didn't have dinner with him as a journalist. I had dinner with him as a friend. It was a Shabbos dinner, a Friday night dinner. Uh, we made kiddush uh, over the wine and a mozi uh, over the bread. And, and uh, it was a very, very friendly dinner. But because I was sitting next to him, we 
had a chance to talk very extensively and, and somewhat privately. And uh, he was cautiously optimistic uh, about the possibility of broadening the Abraham Accords beyond the handful of countries that uh, now um, uh, are having negotiations and dealings with Israel. Of course, there are many countries that are having dealings with Israel that don't even officially recognize it. Israel is the high-tech master of the Middle East. In fact, I went to Benjamin Netanyahu's speech at the General Assembly, and it was obviously about Iran, as it always is, but it was also about artificial intelligence. Now, Bibi may very well be the smartest uh, leader in the world today in terms of just pure brain power, intelligence, education, learning. I mean, the guy never sleeps. Um, he's called me at two in the morning and at seven in the morning. When I gave him a book once to read at 11 o'clock at night, he called me at seven having read the book. I mean, the guy never, never rests. And he's brilliant and uh, knows a great deal about uh, modern technology um, and, and, and particularly about artificial intelligence. And and we talked about both the benefits of artificial intelligence and the dangers uh, in the wrong hands. And of course, the second most sophisticated country in the Middle East is Iran. Uh, they are technological giants alongside Israel. Israel is ahead of them technologically, but they are way, way ahead of any of the Arab countries. Iran, of course, is not an Arab country, nor is Turkey. They're both Muslim countries, um, but they're not Arabs. And um, their education system, both before the mullahs took over, especially before the mullahs took over under the Shah, was one of the best in the Middle East. And believe it or not, even with the mullahs making women, you know, wear head dresses and, 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 and putting them in jail if they don't, even with the reactionary religious forces, uh, Iranian scientific universities developments is uh, head and shoulders above uh, any of the uh, Arab countries, even the very wealthy, very wealthy Arab countries, obviously, like the Saudis, the Qataris, and, uh, and others. Um, and so artificial intelligence is going to play an important role in the Middle East, and Israel is, of course, uh, after the United States, if not the second, um, certainly among the top handful of countries uh, in the area of artificial intelligence. China obviously is up there. Uh, Great Britain is up there. Um, Russia probably in some aspects of it, but uh, not as much as, um, not as, much as, as China. And, and so <clears throat> those were our, <clears throat> our discussions uh, with Elon Musk coming up and we'll talk about it obviously after it happens. Um, obviously I'll be talking about free speech, censorship, um, um, the um, ability of bigots to have their voices heard on X, formerly Twitter, and a range of other issues involving um, uh, free speech. He, he was uh, anxious to hear my views on free speech. I'm anxious to hear his views. I've never met him. Um, I've read a lot of what he's written, and he's obviously written some, read some of what I've written. Otherwise, I don't think he would have invited me to participate uh, in this event. Um, and um, Henry Kissinger is my neighbor. Um, he's in Connecticut now, but when he comes back to New York, I hope I'll have an opportunity to, to have uh, lunch with him before he turns 101. So that was my busy, my busy UN week. Now, of course, the UN's General Assembly 
uh, is done. And so uh, we can go back to driving and walking in my neighborhood without um, uh, getting stuck in traffic jams. We had one traffic jam. We went to see a play downtown and it took us two hours to get back to our apartment. For every mile we went forward, we had to divert and take two miles backward. Uh, but we're back and we see the UN out our window. And um, is it worth the billions of dollars that the United States supports the UN with? Uh, is the UN on balance a force for good or evil? I leave that to you, but there it is. It's a reality. And I took advantage of it during the week of the General Assembly by meeting with two very important people in our uh, current in our current history, uh, Vladimir Zelensky and Benjamin Netanyahu. And I'm I'm the better for it, having learned uh, quite a bit from each of those discussions. So let's now turn to some letters. It is ridiculous that Israel ambassador was thrown out of the UN forcibly and that the Iran leader was able to speak when they say he is a butcher. My opinion, no leader should be treated as such. My opinion of the UN has no purpose in my opinion. So, um, you know, I was also arrested uh, for protesting, not this year, but probably 10 years ago. Uh, I have a photograph of it. Uh, I was carried out of the United Nations when I started a walkout, um, when Ahmadinejad, remember Ahmadinejad, the man who said the Holocaust didn't occur and that Israel should be destroyed by nuclear weapons. Uh, when he got up to discuss the Holocaust, I led a group of um, people, including some people from uh, Western delegations, to walk out. And then I challenged him to debate me on the Holocaust. And he agreed. He said he would debate me at Harvard. I said, uh-uh, we're not going to give you a platform at Harvard. You know where the debate's going to take place on whether the Holocaust occurred? It's going to take place in Auschwitz, right in the spot where the gas chambers were, right in the spot where you can see remnants of the crematorium. Let you deny the Holocaust at Auschwitz. Of course, he turned me down when I tried to ask him that question. I was taken away by the Swiss police. Fortunately, I had some people on my speed dial who I was able to call and I was pretty quickly released. Um, they would also try to kick me out of my hotel, but the hotel allowed me to stay. So um, uh, it was not surprising that the ambassador from Israel, who very courageously held up the picture of this brave woman who died in an Iranian prison because she had the gall, the chutzpah to wear not to wear the, the, the religiously obligated Muslim garb for women. She was independent, and the punishment for that was essentially death. And the ambassador from Israel held up uh, a picture, and that apparently was in violation of some UN rules. I don't know what they would be, why you can't hold up a picture. Uh, he didn't scream or, or try to silence. By the way, I was silenced. I didn't tell you this part of it. So on Thursday night, I had dinner with Bibi on Friday night, a Shabbos dinner. But on Thursday night, I spoke um, at a rally in support of Israel in front of his hotel, the Regency Hotel in New York on Park Avenue. And as soon as I got up to speak, the group of protesters who were protesting Israel, Jews, Israelis who were protesting Israel in the name of so-called democracy, democracy, try to shut me down. Uh, they wouldn't allow me to speak. 
they started banging drums and screaming and making noise, just like the radical left at Stanford did when a judge tried to speak there. Uh, they didn't want anybody to hear what I had to say. So instead of talking to my audience, I immediately turned to them, the ones who were shutting me down. And I said, you're proclaiming that you're in favor of democracy, and yet you're censoring my speech? Is that democracy? Why don't you stop your drums, drop, stop your shouting, come and listen to me. Maybe you'll learn something, and then I'll listen to you. Maybe I'll learn something. That's what the marketplace of ideas is supposed to be like. That's what democracy is supposed to be like. But no, they persisted. Look, I come from Brooklyn, so I just shouted over them. But it was difficult for people to hear me uh, speak because efforts were made by those who claimed to be supporting democracy not to allow me to speak in the interests of democracy. Okay, a couple of more questions. Almost half the states now automatically register people to vote when they get or renew driver's licenses. Is this constitutional? Is it a wise practice? It raises real questions because having a car is not something that everybody has. Um, people who are poor don't have cars. Some people who are elderly don't have cars. Uh, people from certain ethnic backgrounds uh, probably have fewer cars than others. Um, and, and so focusing on cars as a means of registration raises some questions. I understand it. Final question. Dersh, stop voting Democrat for crying out loud. Give me a good Republican choice. Give me somebody I can vote for. You know, give me Nikki Haley. Um, maybe you could persuade me, but you're not going to persuade me with uh, the current lineup. I'm, I'm certainly not going to vote with any degree of enthusiasm for for either candidate at this point in time. But I'm going to vote for the one I think that is more likely than the other to be better for America and less likely to be worse. I haven't cast my vote yet. I'm going to wait till the last minute when I hear all the debates and then we'll decide who to vote for. Okay, so we'll see you tomorrow. I think I might talk about the Menendez uh, case tomorrow. Very, very interesting developments in, in, in that case, but we'll see what the news brings for tomorrow. See you then. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.